I'm Sick as a Dog, and you're listening to Jean-Luc and Me, episode, what is it, episode 11, episode 11. I've written my next poem in honor of my cat. I call it Ode to Spot. Felis catus, is your taxonomic nomenclature an endothermic quadruped carnivorous by nature? Your visual, olfactory, and auditory senses contribute to your hunting skill and natural defenses. I find myself intrigued by your subvocal oscillations, a singular development of cat communications that obviates your basic hedonistic predilection for a rhythmic stroking of your fur to demonstrate affection. A tail is quite essential for your acrobatic talents. You would not be so agile if you lacked its counterbalance. And when not being utilized to aid in locomotion, it often serves to illustrate the of your emotion. The complex levels of behavior you display connote a fairly well-developed cognitive array, and though you are not sentient and do not comprehend, I nonetheless consider you a true and valued friend. Today's episode, The Big Goodbye. And what the hell just happened? Those of you who uh, are regular listeners will probably remember that I was sick only a few weeks ago. Uh, well, get used to it, bitches. I have the constitution of a pale Victorian boy in the attic of a gothic mansion. So this is this is going to keep being a thing. I uh, hope you're ready for it. Oh, good for you! And how was it? We need to talk about holodecks. The holodeck is relatively new. Uh, that's been established in a few episodes already. This episode, they finally got the, I guess I would call it a holonovel update. Uh, up till now, it's been mostly like environments and, and training simulations. They didn't have like AI and NPCs and that, that sort of um, integrated, immersive storytelling narrative stuff ready yet. Um, but it's not where it needs to be it's not where it ends up this is presumably the first of many updates that it will get um, for instance it'll have to it'll have to update to the point where it can put holographic clothing on you like fat Johnny Frakes in the finale of Enterprise has the chef outfit on and stuff but he's not really wearing it he just walks out of the holodeck and it disappears but there's a bunch of other inconsistencies that I would like to bring up. I'm not going to use the nitpick klaxon because I'm just going to assume that this first update fucking sucked and they had to patch it out like a bunch of times. Firstly, when Picard starts up the program, it asks the location and the setting and the time uh, first. And then, once he's told it, San Francisco, 1943 or whatever... Then it says, oh, what program? And he says, Dixon Hill. The Dixon Hill stories take place in San Francisco in the 30s and 40s. Like, if he just said Dixon Hill, that all would have loaded. Why is it asking him weird, unnecessary questions first? I guess you could argue that because the holodeck was mostly a setting-based place rather than a story-based place... The first question it has always asked is for the setting. And they simply added a story question as an addendum. And that'll get patched out. Uh, it has not yet been programmed to ignore 
anachronisms and inconsistencies. Everybody looks at Data and is like, what's going on with this guy? Which, or even the fact that uh, Picard walks in wearing his uniform at first, everybody comments on it, calls it a bellhop uniform and shit. But in future, nobody notices that someone's an alien, nobody notices how someone's dressed. It seems as though in future, uh, novel NPCs are designed to ignore anachronisms, and that has not yet taken effect. When Picard leaves the holodeck for the first time, it keeps going without him, and the NPCs experience what's happening while he's out in the hallway of the Enterprise, pressing the little buttons, turning finally turning it off. And also, it happens in real time, um, so that you, as the protagonist, as Dixon Hill, have to explain where you've fucking been while you were, you know leading your real life that's a weird choice for that program to make the obvious one is at the end when uh, Red Block and Leech are able to walk out of the holodeck like down a whole hallway before they start disappearing and then it seemingly deletes their physical forms first and then when it's almost done deleting the physical form or at the very end the the uh the AI, the program itself, the, the brain deletes. But we've seen in other Star Treks that it's the opposite of that. You delete the AI out of the physical object, and then you can delete the object if you want to. And it was all very strange to see everyone so excited about novels as this new, new thing when in like five years it's about to be just a fact of life like something that we've always had and I don't know if that's a writing inconsistency or if that's on purpose to show how quickly new technology uh, becomes integrated into this perfect society but I don't know I was supposed to talk about if I liked it or not right hold on let me grab my notes where are my fucking notes Okay, I liked it. I didn't need my notes for that. I knew that, but these are detail notes. So I liked it. It was the first uh, holodeck malfunction episode, and because of that, it was a lot of fun. I think Star Trek should be fun. I might be in the minority of that. I don't. I don't think of Star Trek as a thinking man's show. Maybe I should. That's the way others seem to see it. But oh, the Picard and Crusher dynamic was really fun. Uh, Beverly Crusher, obviously. It is cheesy, but like, as I've said before, it's I'm fine with it being cheesy. It is Star Trek. It just has to be the right kind of cheesy. And this works well. They're dancing, will they, won't they, dancing around each other bullshit. Oh, the, the, the holodeck entrance door into the San Francisco street was so great because it was a practical effect. And your brain notices on some level when it's real. And it was so simple. They just took the section of the wall with the door in it and, like, plopped it down on the location, shot it close enough that you couldn't see that it was only a section of the wall. Doors open, real street behind it. They walk through. The camera can follow them. Absolutely no shenanigans. In the reverse shot, coming back from commercial, it's a composite through into the hallway of the Enterprise. But, like, the work has already been done making it real to you in that first practical shot and it helps a lot I love it 
There was a lot of good humor in this episode. The the data's from South America thing was fun every single time, especially at the end when he tried to explain the real thing and got admonished and just said, South America. A lot of good little physical things, data with the lamp, uh, when when Beverly first comes in and she's futzing around with the makeup and with her uh, <coughs> with her short skirt. Sorry, that was probably really disgusting. Deal with it, y'all. Um, the thing that Wes used to um, look into the detailing of the programming and circuitry of the holodeck, he like opened a wall panel, took out this this kind of big gimmick, and affixed it to the 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 circuitry uh, wall and then flipped up these little viewers and there were buttons to control it that was that was cool like i feel like people don't work very hard on the hardware uh aspect of sci-fi technology anymore because so much of our real world advanced technology is about the software and it was just that was fun that's just uh it's a good it's a good look is it i popped I popped when he when he attached it and flipped the thing up and started using it. I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Haven't seen that before. Oh, uh, Picard is a man of action. He, uh, we, get, we get an early we get an early glimpse into sort of Rambo Picard as he later becomes in the movies, I understand when he's knocking he's like knocking guns out of people's hands and shit when the safeties are off fun times also i like that the the object that redblock is looking for is never detailed just just macguffin to the nth degree very noir that was so dope and while we're talking about being very noir the fact that we had actual Lawrence Tierney and uh, not really Peter Laurie was fun. The And the, the guy did a really good job uh, not being exactly Peter Laurie. He wasn't he wasn't doing the whole thing that, to the point where it became like a parody. But he was doing enough of it that I caught it and I, I really appreciated his uh, I don't want to say the subtlety of his performance but he could have been a lot less subtle and most probably would have been and that was good the um, the other thing uh, sort of um, not a, not so much a detail thing has got a little bit more meat to it is the idea of data as detective he was interested in Sherlock Holmes earlier and I kind of tore it up because of the way they presented it but when you combine it here with his interest in uh, the Dixon Hill stories, you see, uh, a pattern starts to emerge, and it's it's data as detective, because he is. Why is he interested in these characters? He is observing and trying to understand, um, and that's what a detective does. And a detective has to be a great study of people. And that's some that's like the one thing that data isn't great at. And so you can see how he sees himself in detectives and sees what he lacks in detectives. And so therefore they're 
a nice sort of ideal to uh, to work toward, maybe. I don't know if he realizes this or not. But I realized it this episode. I'm gonna give this I'm gonna give this a, a lukewarm. Maybe it's because I'm sick and I'm not thinking super straight. But I think this might have been the episode I enjoyed most out of all of them so far. There was very little in the way of, of Star Trekiness. A lot of it was uh, the noir stuff. That might have helped. It had a really good gimmick. It had a lot more humor than usual. And even there was even more character. Um, with Picard being excited about the new Hollow Novel patch. The dynamic between him and Crusher. Uh, good, good data work this time around on the data as detective gimmick. So, what was I saying? Lukewarm on the EGS. Earl Grey scale. The big goodbye. Lukewarm. <laughs> was the catch, Jesus? Was the catch? As the as the format dictates. Negatives. Doctor Crusher is apparently useless as a doctor. Unless she's got 25th century technology. 25th century? 24th century? 24th century technology. Fuck, I hope that's right. I'm so sick right now. I, I blame, it, blame it on the sickness, if I got it wrong. If I, if I didn't, then I can remember even through being sick, and that's dope. Uh, but otherwise, don't blame me. Crusher. Crusher is useless as a doctor. Um, unless she's got her sickbay. I already said that. Oh, my point. The, the 20th century historian was shot and he was dying. And, and she said that he would die if they, if they didn't get him to the sickbay. But how soon he dies, one should think she would still have some control over. She didn't try to carterize it uh, she didn't like try to sew it up she didn't and for God's sake she wasn't putting pressure on the wound I know you gotta put pressure on the wound and I very specifically try not to know anything about medicine or the human body and I know that shit so like wow the you know in uh, Harry Potter when the wizard motherfuckers don't know about like dentists and shit because they just use magic to fix their teeth, and they're like, I don't understand what's a dentist. That kind of feels like what Beverly's doing. It's like, bitch, put some pressure on the wound. I know you don't have, like, little light things that bleep and bloop and fix stuff for you, but, like, don't you know enough to just fucking put your palm on the goddamn uh, napkin you put on him or whatever? Like, Jesus, that was killing me. She was, like, standing up, walking around, despairing. Bitch, put some pressure on the wound. Um, I do have another sort of philosophical section like the data one from the previous segment. But first, sound the nitpick klaxon. It's nitpick time. Deanna called Riker Will. Last time she called him by his first name, she called him Bill. Did she call him Bill? 
Or does she call him Will? I mean, she I suppose she could call him both, but that's weird. Pick one. Sound another nitpick, Claxon. It's nitpick time! Around the magic conference table, uh, Data says that there is a tape of the previous encounter they had with these insect people. There's a tape? That's what you call it? The visual recording? Is it on magnetic strips? That's, that's a bad... That's, that's worthy of a nitpick. Sound the nitpick. No, I'm kidding. There's not another one. Uh, so the philosophical section. I suppose I could get a klaxon for the philosophical section, but that'd be sort of weird, tonally. So we need to talk. It is so troubling. It is so... I am going to have to use the word problematic because I don't have time to go to a thesaurus and my brain isn't working. So I'm going to say problematic that Gene Roddenberry came up with this idea for a kayfabe where humans are perfect. They are perfect and boring and useless as characters. And conflict is not a thing. So that all of the story has to come from non-humans. And, you know, to a certain extent, non-Federation species. But also, just non-humans. As long as you're not in Starfleet. If you're in Starfleet, you have to be, you know, at least approaching the perfection of a human. And so what this does is, when all of the conflict comes from the imperfection of other species, it ends up being humans going around being perfect, looking at outsiders and pointing at them and going, Wow, you guys suck. We're so awesome. Humans, so great. You guys can't get your shit together. And it's like... Racist? It's... I mean, like, from a from a storytelling perspective, it comes off racist. And I get, I get what he's going for. The idea is that Starfleet, twenty fourth century humans. God, I hope it's the twenty fourth century. Uh, are what we could be. They are our future selves. And then the imperfect aliens are us now, or aspects of us now, imperfect, current humans, and it gets to work as a sort of commentary. Future humans, possible perfect humans, commenting on current imperfect humans. But it still comes off racist. And then, there's this extra layer of shenanigans that makes it even harder to deal with, right? <clears throat> because... Whew, there's a lot of talking. Just give me a second. There's this extra layer of shenanigans that makes this even harder to deal with because while future perfect humans judge aliens and they are brackets judging us now, 20th century humans, simultaneously 
these future perfect humans are constantly defending their perfection against even more future post-humans which are often less perfect than the 24th like like if you if you consider it a sort of weird hierarchy of judgment how are the ones in the middle right all the time they get to judge the the aliens for being uh, too logical or too warrior based or whatever but then constantly escape judgment from those who are even further advanced and I'm just not like each of those things individually I get what it's trying to say but when you combine the two and they've been thoroughly combined in this show they both happen with complete regularity I don't know what that's trying to say I don't know what that makes this show about I don't think I'm gonna have a fix it section this time partially because I'm sick and I don't feel like it partially because I rambled about the philosophy stuff for way too long and partially because this episode was actually pretty good there weren't any huge glaring mistakes in it that needed fixing I mean there was the like inconsistencies about how the holodeck works but that was fine I yeah I would not I would not be mad if I had to watch this episode again like not right now I just watched it but you know maybe as soon as in a couple months if someone said hey let's watch that Dixon Hill episode the first Dixon Hill episode I bet they do this more I would be like sure yeah put it on man get some chips <sighs> um so I'll see you see you next time wait a minute wait a minute wait stop the music wait a minute stop the music the whole thing was they needed to get picard out of the holodeck so he could make this almost impossible to remember and pronounce speech to these salty insect people right that was the danger it's like oh no these insect people are really salty and if picard himself does not give this incredibly difficult speech it could spell disaster for our diplomacy with this race does it what happened to wesley's picard voice box thing remember wesley's creepy picard voice box thing this is precisely the type of situation that that requires that type of technology. And this is precisely the type of situation that requires continuity. <clears throat> because that could have fixed everything, Leslie. All of this could have been avoided. Could have fixed everything. Granted, Wesley, you were needed to get Picard out of the holodeck because 
nobody else on board can knows enough about holodecks as you, apparently. I guess that does make sense. Like, if a video game's broken, you are going to call in the teenager. But still, you could have at least mentioned the possibility of using your creepy Picard voice box. You didn't seem to have any trouble showing it off to Jordy in that other episode. It doesn't seem like you're ashamed of it, but you probably should be. Um... <laughs> 